1: Hey, welcome back everyone to another episode of the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. I am your host, Ira Wolf, and I'm here with my co-host, Keith Kapagna, and our sponsors, JobVite and Success Performance Solutions. Uh, We got a great guest this week. Can't wait to talk to David Searns from Haley Marketing. Uh, We're going to be talking about staffing, career sites. uh, One of my favorite topics this year, uh, as you will, and last year, as you knew, was uh, Google for Jobs. And uh, we're also going to be talking about, uh, this is a quote from David, why do people in recruiting so often design crappy recruiting websites? So uh, we we got a ton to talk about. Uh, Just a heads up to everyone, uh, this week's show is being prerecorded. Uh, we, uh, due to my to accommodate my travel, so I appreciate uh, Keith and Dee, uh, who's our engineer, uh, and David being flexible, uh, so we can get so I can be on this show and, and be here. Um, so your calls won't be coming in. Uh, we're not, li- as I said, we're not live, uh, but you can send any questions or follow up, uh, contact any one of us, uh, email, you can connect with us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, uh, go visit our websites for, uh, uh, success performance solutions, uh, job and, uh, we'll get you David's information soon. Um, but as usual, uh, Keith is here, Keith. Uh, Kim Pagner, and uh, what's
2: cooking? Uh, actually, off-site this week, I down in, in Maryland, uh, yeah, okay, checking okay. out a couple of companies here. You know, it's it, it's amazing to me how dynamic and how fast-moving uh, activity is anymore in the in the recruiting and talent acquisition industry. Uh, so I'm down here, healthcare is on the agenda, as well as even hospitality, large large, uh, you know, multinational. Hotel organizations trying to figure out ways that they could get ahead of the, the talent crunch. So, so it this, it, it,
1: it, is this a conference you're at? Or
2: what's no, it? no, just visiting on behalf of uh, visiting prospective clients. And, oh, okay, and cool. Oh, a good job, job. Yes. Or, yeah, yeah, I do that so, in between we, between uh, uh, podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, me too. So, yeah, and uh, I'm headed down to uh, Atlanta in two days to see our mutual friend and colleague, uh, Robbie Ghoulry. Um, not to, specifically to visit him, but he—he's chair. He, I think I don't know if he's chair of the program committee or he's on the board of uh, Atlanta uh, Leadership Atlanta. And they have yeah. their uh, innovation summit. They're trying something new this year. They used to do economic development. They realized that was a little bit boring for from leadership, so they're doing that. And I'm presenting my topic. Uh, you know, the future of work. Uh, humans need not apply. Which is a little bit dystopic title, but uh, we're going to be going over, uh, you know, the, the reality of that is. Um, we're getting a nice response. Uh, certainly, the survey's still open, but let me see if I can pull this up here. Uh, it's kind of pretty interesting, and I'd like to see uh, maybe David can chime in later too. Uh, I only it was a real short survey. I asked three questions: How likely is it your job will be replaced by a machine in the next five years? And uh, interesting enough, and it's probably true. Um, over seventy five percent, over uh, three out of four, said no chance. That they're they're probably realistic for, uh, especially the audience that we were going for, uh, twenty five. But interesting enough, twenty uh, percent, almost twenty percent, uh, said that it, they it would be replaced. Um, about eight uh, percent said, or fifty percent, uh, yeah, about fifty um, percent or eight percent said fifty percent chance it would be replaced. If I get that right, yeah. So th- you know well, there's. About well, you know, there's about a quarter of the a quarter of the respondents felt that their job will be um, you know somewhat or
2: all replaced. Yeah, and we talked about this uh, what one or two podcasts ago. If to some varying degree, I think everybody's job is going to be automated to mm-hmm. the extent in which it's eliminated due to that automation. I think is is quite futuristic in in, in its nature. And with yeah. a little by then, we'll have good things to do with our time versus working.
1: I think they were. I, I was. I was actually pretty surprised that they were. You know, that there were so few people thought their their job would be replaced. But again, I, I think that's probably ac- accurate. It's not quite as uh, dystopic as as people think it's going to be. But I, I think the the next question was what percentage of the work you do today would be automated in the next five years. And I think this was a huge underestimate. Um, there was almost 20% that said 0% of their job will be automated. Uh, yeah. Now, I don't know what they're doing. Uh, you know, So I, I didn't go down that far. We were, I was trying to keep this fairly anonymous. So I don't know what those jobs were. Uh, 20, um, the highest percentage was 50%. Of the people who responded, and there was over 100 so far that responded, uh, said at least 25% of their job would be automated. So that's probably realistic. Uh, Another 20% said 50% of their job would be automated. Um, You know, uh, there was a handful that said automated. So uh, that's, you know, that's pretty interesting as well. Um, And then this was strange. It's how worried are you that technology is moving faster than your ability to keep up? I don't. I mean, I, you're in the space. I'm in the space. I know David's here. I, we're up, you know. I, at least you. I know you and I are having trouble keeping up. Um, you know, I have an excuse, but there's. I mean, it, it, it's crazy. I mean, how fast things are changing. And um, some said twenty percent said none at all. They're not worried at all about keeping up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and almost fifty percent said just a little. They were concerned. I don't know if they don't know what, you know, maybe it's they don't know what they don't know at this well, point. Well, yeah,
2: I, it's, it certainly sounds like, and just from my, you know, however, 10, 12 years in the space, I would suggest that those people are the, are the, the individuals that we would put in the category of working super hard to stay out of the weeds, where yeah. they just simply aren't in a position to look up and see down the road or around the corner like we certainly have been able to get to I'm sure David's going to have a lot to talk about this as it relates to what's going on there with, um, with the way that companies are, are, are actually listening to the message that people like uh, himself and, and you put out there. Because with the, the, the rate of the impact of technology in and of itself is going to leave, I think, way more people uh, than are estimated at kind of confused as to what happened. I really do think that there's going to be a, a whole shift uh, take place in, in terms of internal HR departments. Very quickly, almost like a tip, feels like we're moving closer and closer to a tipping point.
1: Well, yeah, and you queued this up pretty well. In two weeks, I mean, next week we've got a great guest. that will be a segue for for a conversation this week about Google for Jobs. But the following week, uh, and I think I mentioned him last week, is uh, Jeff um, Gotthelf. Uh, he's got a new book out called Sense and Purpose. I just started to read it. And I, you know, I, I pick up these quotes, it talked about, you know, we're still and this this is especially true for HR, where many companies are still operating like they used to in a manufacturing world. And I guess one of the dangers was that is that they would, you know, they used to have a three or a five year plan. And, you know, and then it came down to an annual plan. They they plan, um, you know, for a budget, uh, you know, 12 months ahead. Um, if, if the car industry, the automobile industry, you know, once a year, they'd have a model revision and those were in the works for years. Um, and people just have to be more responsive. And this statistic just blew me away, releases a new software update to the world. And this is adjustment, adjusting to the information they receive from us. You know, what what's what are we buying? What are the comments on it? Do we like it? Do we not like it? Amazon releases a new software update every 11.6 seconds. Yeah. Yep. I mean, yep. you know, and, and here we are. I mean, what we're gonna be talking about, uh, you know, very quickly here is, um, you know, not only how far behind HR and staffing and recruitment are, um, but, you know, just, you know, everything from tracking and analytics to be responsiveness to, to candidates. I mean, we're, we're still talking about, hey, you've had a contact, a customer contacted you. They applied whether even if you didn't have the product, you would normally respond to them. You wouldn't blow them off. Yet companies are still blowing off, uh, you know, as a new term ghosting um, the, uh, you know, candidates.
2: Uh, And and to me, the part that just, you know, it sounds almost like, uh, I guess this is the geeky part of me for geeks, geezers, and Googleizations. but the part that really excites me is this notion of the human component because what we're talking about now has everything to do with the technology, the disruption that technology will bring into pretty much every organization in some capacity. I myself just started chunking into a, a new book called Talent Wins, which is essentially written by three very, very well-known CEOs directed at CEOs. I haven't read a book like this in a while. They are not pretending like they're going to sell 400 million copies. They are writing a note to CEOs talking exclusively about how they're going to have to, companies need to manage the human component of their business. So now we're talking about this, you know, this, this merge of super fast technology that will be almost required so that the CFO and the CHRO can work together as a power group to slow down the personal interaction enough to get people moving in the right direction. Yeah. And if you yeah. don't know what you're doing with step A, it's going to be really tricky by the time you get to step B. Yeah,
1: Yeah. well, step B is probably going to morph by the time you get the mm-hmm. steppy, anyway. So, right, right. but uh, so that's, uh, yeah, so we, we got a lot to talk about. And uh, so l- I think it's probably time to bring on David. Uh, David Searns is uh, CEO of Haley Marketing. Uh, right before the call, we were talking about the, the Haley Marketing's located in Buffalo. So, um, fortunately, it's warming up. I hear it's 60 degrees there today. David, how you doing?
0: Hey, we're doing well. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. And, yeah, we're having an unusual heat wave for February in Buffalo, New York. So uh, no complaints from this end of the line.
1: Yeah, I know they were talking about out in Chicago, uh, and you're by the water as well. But I know they were talking out there. One of the concerns was it was going to warm up so quick that there'd be humidity in the air and hit the ground and, and freeze. Is that, a, is that a danger up there at all? I think we're
0: good. The only thing we're going to worry about here is uh, rivers backing up from ice jams. But I saw in Chicago uh, yeah. there the swing between last Wednesday and, and this Sunday was something with wind chill, 105 degrees difference in four days. Yeah.
1: Wow. yeah, crazy. But but no climate change. Don't worry about it. No, not at <laughs> all. So, which is a whole other topic. So let's talk about the climate in staffing. Uh, before we get there, tell us a little bit about Haiti and uh, how you got started in this business.
0: Sure. So Haley Marketing, we're a marketing services firm. We do web development. We do recruitment marketing. We do content and social media marketing. And we do it for staffing and recruiting firms all over the world. We work with about 1,400 companies, mostly North American-based, a few other places around the world, helping them to implement better marketing. And and most of our clients are small to mid-sized companies that don't have – big, deep marketing departments, and they need to get expert help to find better ways to engage talent and to engage clients. And we got into this because I grew up in this industry. So mom and dad ran a temporary staffing company here in Buffalo, New York from 1968 right up through 1998. And uh, somewhere along the way, I got involved and ended up helping them to create a marketing function inside an organization that was very old school. You know, sales is a numbers game. You want more sales, do more numbers, hit the phones more, pound the pavement more. And uh, we convinced Dad in particular that, um, marketing could actually make life a little bit easier and, uh, we, we proved dad to be right, and then in 1996, we spun off our giant two-person marketing department uh, to start this venture called Haley Marketing Group, and here, 22 and a half years later, we now have a team of 50 people that support the staffing and recruiting industries, helping them find better ways to recruit, engage talent, and uh, as you mentioned, deal with the rapid pace of technology in the industry.
1: So what so what are you saying? I mean, working in staffing and, and you and I cross paths, uh, you know, in the ASG group and the uh, temp debt, I, I guess those are or at least two of the areas that we're 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 in together. Um, you know, things have changed there. Uh, you know, the, the I think, yeah, at least in my perception. Companies look toward staffing before, you know, when everything else failed, at you know, at home in, in their own business, they reached out to staffing. It was sort of a last resort. Uh, are you is that still I mean, is this that's still how uh, employers look towards
0: staffing? Is that changing? What, what do you see going on? I think that's still the commonly held view of staffing is it's the, it's the last place to go if you can't do it on your own. There's still the misperception that it's going to be workers who can't find employment elsewhere, but the reality today is it is now an essential part of how companies operate because companies need flexibility, just like they're going to try to have fixed and variable costs in how they manufacture a good labor they have to look at as either a fixed or variable cost. And it's really hard to make full-time employees a variable expense, but with staffing, it's very easy to move up, move down, to make my workforce match my workload. And the other thing that's changed is uh, I, I heard a statistic just last week that if you look at college students entering the workforce, 47% of them are entering their first job as, as a freelancer they want flexible jobs and it's the staffing industry and the broader freelance economy that is giving people the opportunities to work the way they want to work, which happens to match the way employers want to hire. So um, I think the industry has really evolved to being not last ditch, but more on the forefront of talent acquisition strategy.
1: No, I, and I agree with you. In fact, uh, uh days run together. Uh, they had TEDx uh, Lehigh river. I, I was, uh, a TEDx speaker there two years ago, and uh, they had the uh, this year's uh, well actually was postponed from November when they had a snowstorm here. Uh, but one of the speakers, the very first speaker, was talking about the freelancing economy, of how she uh, was a teacher and uh now she freelances and she's doing really really well and uh, but she was she was kind of introducing it but it was interesting they had a a couple hundred people there uh in the audience uh it was just interesting listening to their comments about the gig economy and and how uh, you know it it used to be you were a freelancer if you couldn't get a cold down a full-time job uh and now it's a you know it's a career
0: yeah, I was at uh, a conference last week from the American Staffing Association, their new Vision conference. And it was sort of a, about 120 of the, the leaders, the largest companies in the industry. And they brought in this amazing series of speakers. And they were talking about how large employers are trying to consistently subdivide work into smaller and smaller tasks so they can then outsource those tasks. And then they're looking at the, the gig or freelance economy as being much more integral to how they get things done.
1: Yeah, no, no question, a lot of change. Hey, when you and I uh, were together last, I think it was in early November, um, You know, we both hooked on to this. Uh, I'm not sure, Chicken of the Egg, who, who came up with it first, but we hooked on to Indeed Geddon. Uh, you know, and and which was January 7th, uh, 2019. So just about a month ago. Uh, I mean, what, you know, and for for everybody who was listening, I I know you heard it on some prior shows. Um, It it was, you know, July 7th, Indeed, uh, basically put a new policy in place that uh, uh, recruiters and staffing firms were no longer able to post jobs for free on Indeed, um, you're in the thick of this. What What are you seeing? what What was the What was the fallout? How has everybody responded uh, to it?
0: Well, it reminds me of a bad a bad joke that denial is not a strategy. It's a river in Egypt because yeah. that's what a lot of our clients did. Is they said, "Well, we've heard these things before. It won't really happen. We don't have to have a strategy in place." Guess what? January seventh, Indeed pulled the plug. They pulled the plug on Indeed.com <laughs> and other properties that Indeed owns, like Simply Hired, and all those organic job listings, and we were sending every single night seventy thousand jobs to Indeed for inclusion in their organic listings, uh, gone. And now companies are scrambling to put in place the right strategy. Some are looking at um Do they need to pay? Do they need to have a contract with Indeed to do performance-based or pay-per-click advertising? Uh, Others are looking at other ways to drive free listings on other sites. Um, At Haley Marketing Group, we... As soon as we heard about Indeed Mageden back in October, since they were so kind as to announce it at Staffing World, <laughs> uh, we we reached out to all of the other job aggregators we could find and said, "Hey, we've got all of these jobs. Will you take them on your site?" And the people at uh, Nuvu, uh, at Zuna, JobPace, all said, "Absolutely, send us the jobs." So we're trying to help by getting the organic inclusion on other sites, but Indeed is still the most trafficked job site and for our clients we saw them going from having 50 100 200 jobs on indeed on january 6th to zero on january 7th and now they are literally scrambling saying what do we do to stay in business because with no jobs we're getting no candidates and they're trying to figure out what are the other strategies they can start to employ both paid and free to bring more candidates in
2: well and
1: i know one of those um one of the strategies is Google for jobs. And, uh, when we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, uh, I definitely want to talk to you about that. Uh, you also, uh, have, a you know, you and I have shared this quite a bit, but I know there's a big emphasis on you is how to plug all those career site leaks. Uh, and I want to get your take on a few things then. Uh, you're listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization show. We're with our guest, David Searns from the Haley Group. We're talking about staffing, recruiting, and, and Dita Geddon, um, you know, what's the, the future of, um, you know, the future of work, jobs, recruitment. Uh, and uh, we will be right back after this short break. Stay tuned.
2: Behind everything you're searching for is something you're actually looking for. When you search with the real yellow pages, you get more than a contractor, you get a whole new curb appeal. It's not just getting directions to a dry cleaner with yp.com, it's rescuing an old favorite from the back of the closet. And it's more than finding a locksmith with yp.com on your mobile, it's getting to sleep in your own bed. Whatever it might be, there are more ways to search and more ways to find exactly what you're looking for with the real yellow pages, yp.com, and yp.com on your mobile, only from AT&T. What's up, everyone? This is Keith from the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization show, powered by Jobvite. Jobvite knows career paths are made by people, not by open job requisitions. Jobvite's platform ties recruitment marketing directly to applicant tracking and onboarding, creating continuous candidate engagement that effectively connects recruiters with qualified passive candidates. Used by over 50,000 recruiters placing over 1 million jobs, JobVite's platform impacts every company in every industry. Check us out at JobVite.com. Listen carefully. Up to 9 out of 10 job candidates visiting your company career page
1: leave before completing an application. You heard that right. 90% of candidates who want to apply for a job at your company don't. That's just plain crazy, especially in today's tight labor market. Candidate experience matters. Stop turning candidates away. Let Success Performance Solutions help. Call us at 800-803-4303 or register at successperformancesolutions.com slash W4CY. Schedule a no-obligation consultation and get special access to insider tips
2: to recruit faster and hire smarter.
1: Hey, welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers and Googleization show. I'm your host, Ira Wolf, with my co-host, Keith Compagna, and David Searns from the Haley Marketing Group. Uh, when we left off, we were talking about Indeed Ageddon, uh, how Indeed changed uh, the rock not changed, but really rock the world of staffing and recruitment. Uh, we were looking at some different strategies, and one of those... Uh, at least, in my opinion, is Google for jobs. Uh, so, David, uh, where I, I guess where is Google for jobs fitting into this? Uh, what's been the response by that you're seeing in staffing? Uh, and uh, just kind of heads up, everyone. Uh, and I I don't know if you're familiar with this, David or not. But uh, next week, our guest is uh, Ven uh, Venkat uh, uh who has Jobiak. Are, are you, have you seen Jobiac yet?
0: I am familiar with Jobiak.
1: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's going to be our, uh, he's our guest next week. So that, that should be fun. But what are you seeing with uh, Google for Jobs?
0: So what I'm seeing is a lot of misinformation. So there's a lot of companies that are marketing, hey, we will get your jobs into Google for Jobs. We send your huh. jobs to Google for <laughs> Jobs. And as you know, that's not what it's all about. Right. you need to get the jobs onto your company website. You need to have the jobs optimized through that stuff they call schema markup or structured data markup. And to make a technical explanation short, essentially you're telling Google how to read the information on your website so it knows what piece of data is a job title, what's a job description, where the job's located, what the salary is. And so this structured data tells Google everything about your job. And so whether your web developer is creating that for you, or you're using a third-party part job board software uh, and self-promotion, that's one of the things that we do. You want all the job data to be optimized so that it's readable and understandable by Google for jobs. The next thing is is Google has the ability to using their APIs to send a notification to Google saying, hey, we've got new jobs that are available for Google to index. And so you want whatever career site you're using to also notify Google that you've got this new data. So those are the things to get companies into Google for jobs. Now, I you asked the question, you know, how are staffing companies reacting? And I said it's misinformation. They're trying to find a way to buy their way into Google for Jobs like they bought a job post on Indeed or they bought a job post on CareerBuilder. Mm-hmm. They're not yet fully understanding, no, this is more of what I do with my data or what I do with the jobs on my website. Now, there are there are techniques to buy your way in because Google for Jobs pulls information from lots of websites. I was working with a client this morning. And we looked at the jobs on their website, and then we took one of those job titles, and this company's in St. Louis, and we went to Google, and we ran a search for that job title in St. Louis. And we found their job. The number one result on Google for Jobs was their job. But interestingly enough, it didn't come from their website. We're trying to figure out why that happened. It came from Mm recruit.net, career board, and missourijobs.com. Why? Because their jobs were going to these other sites that are being indexed by Google for Jobs. So if you're an employer and you're saying, how do I get on Google for Jobs? One, start by searching your current jobs. They may be there already. Two, look for other sites beyond your own that might be getting indexed and share your jobs with those other sites. And then three is to make sure you have a career site that's optimized so that it is coming directly from you because that is really the best way to be on Google for jobs. Yeah.
1: And I, I guess one of the things that people don't understand is because they do go up and they, and as I said, they do find it, whether it's uh recruit.net, uh, obviously LinkedIn is one of their aggregators. Uh, there's a number of ways to, to be able to get your jobs listed in Google for jobs. The challenge is, is if you don't have an active career site, if you don't have your own career site and you don't have uh, the jobs coming directly uh, if, if the jobs on your on your website, on your company website, aren't going directly to Google for jobs, then the candidate is, is still directed away so that they find your job, but now they're still applying through a third party.
0: Yeah. And the worst part about that is some of these aggregators on the third parties, they may strip all the HTML out of your job post. So it looked beautiful when you wrote it up and now it's just a one block of text. And then other sites want to capture the candidate. So the candidate has to go through hoops to apply. And, you mm-hmm. know, as well as I do, right. the, the more clicks before the apply is completed, the fewer applications a company is going to receive. So it's a very strong argument to get a career site integrated with your website. That's optimizing the jobs.
1: No, absolutely. So, Hey, hey Keith, I know you had a question. We, we started this conversation during the break. Um, do you remember the question?
2: Yeah. No, thanks, Ira. My curiosity, David, is, you know, for me, I'm on the software side and and Joblight's big aim is to help people recognize the the candidates' participation in the whole hiring process and and marketing. We say that, you know, recruitment is marketing anymore. What are some of the ways that you've seen companies kind of pick up from or take the ball with this kind of a challenge? Because it sounds to me like for the right kind of company. This seems like a Google-size obstacle to get out of the way. And, and all the while, they're trying to find people that they could hire faster are qualified. I'm, I'm curious to, to learn what, what the companies that are pulling this off are doing and maybe help uh, the audience out a little.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about recruitment marketing, and, kid, we couldn't agree with you more that, that recruiting is marketing, but we, we talk about looking at four Pillars of your recruitment marketing. So the first pillar is your career site, and what are you doing to make sure that every job seeker who hits your company webpage is funneling through to applying to a job? And there's all kinds of holes or leaks that most websites have where they're just they're just bleeding candidates left and right. Um, I, I've yet to see a staffing or recruiting firm website that didn't have holes that need to be patched. So we want to look first at the career site, maximizing the people who enter the funnel at the top and who come out the funnel at the bottom as a job applicant. Yep. The next thing we, we want to look at is job advertising. So we don't want, you know, indeed just one player. Sure, they're the biggest, but what strategies do people have for job advertising? And particularly, are they looking at the world of programmatic Job advertising, where I can now take my job spend, my advertising spend, set up a budget. I can test the budget with different job sites. I can also set rules that are going to control my spending. So if my easy to fill job, I only need 10 candidates to fill it, I can stop my spending when I get 10 candidates. If my super hard to fill job needs to have a higher budget, it can allocate the resources, the money to those hard to fill jobs. So now I'm matching what I'm spending based on what I really need and how hard the jobs are to fill. And that programmatic advertising is something that's only been around for a few years now and it can make a 30% plus improvement in the return on the job advertising spend. The third strategy is social recruiting. We're in a 3.9% unemployment market and I saw a statistic that 80% of job seekers are not active. Only 14% are active. So if I want to fill my job openings when there's this little unemployment and when 86% of the world isn't going to a job site, I need to recruit somewhere else. And that's where social recruiting comes in. And that's our third pillar is I need a strategy around social media to engage passive job seekers. And, hint, that's not just about saying, hey, we have a job opening. It's about engaging people who aren't 100% satisfied with their current job getting them interested in the jobs your organization represents, getting them interested in you as an employer, and then getting them to become an active job seeker. And then the fourth pillar is the employment brand. Is, are you a good company to work for? And tied to that is your online reputation. What, what does Glassdoor say about you? What does Indeed Reviews, what do Google reviews say about your company as an employer? If I don't have a strong reputation, and a brand where I'm known, how in the world am I going to attract talent to my organization? Um, I've got uh, three college-age kids, and uh, my middle guy went to a job fair recently, and he said, it was amazing, Dad. You looked at the tables from Facebook and Google and Microsoft. They had these huge lines of every kid wanting to talk to these companies, and then there's the companies nobody ever heard of, and not a single person is talking to the recruiter. Now, kudos sure. to my kid. He went up to all those tables with no one there, and he walked uh, out with five job offers. Sure. But people don't know employment brands, so they don't go after companies because they've never heard of them. So that employment brand is really critical in attracting talent who's on the passive side. So it's those four strategies, Keith. And it, if anybody is interested, we actually wrote a 48-page ebook on surviving Indeed Um uh, The URL is haleymarketing.com forward slash Indeed, and it goes through all of the strategies in more detail.
2: Who inside of an organization, David, do you think is the person that deserves to know this information the fastest? Is it in that? acquisition? uh
0: yeah, I, I, absolutely. On the on the corporate side, is talent acquisition? It's it's the HR management. Uh, but I think HR management has to also share this with the line managers. The employment brand is controlled by how well those line managers treat people, how fast they respond. Because if the organization is slow in getting back to a candidate, that's not just HR's problem. That's usually the line manager didn't give HR any data to go on. Yeah. So I think it's a company wide. But I, I agree with you the talent acquisition is the one who has to understand the strategies, but then sell the rest of the organization on here's what we're doing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Plus when you go back to that brand and you combine that with social presence, word of mouth, you know, now people are, they have their, uh, their professional and their, their personal networks. And if you're a local company and you're trying to really establish a consistent growth, you're going to need people to do it, and it's hard to do it if you're, like you said, the, there isn't a communication from HR to to the different managers, hiring and working with Ab- individuals.
0: Absolutely, Keith, and and even getting those individuals more involved in the social recruiting. Because if, let's say, Keith, you know, you're a, an IT professional and you work for an organization, so you're connected through LinkedIn to other IT leaders, to other organizations, to other IT professionals, maybe through Facebook. Your HR department isn't connected to those people. So if they share content, it's not getting to more IT right. professionals who might want a job. But if you share the corporate content through your accounts and all of your colleagues share it, now the organization's reach is multiplied exponentially to reaching the right target audience. Yeah. Yeah. Now, David, I spent a, a little bit
2: of time running a staffing agency in the Lehigh Valley area in Pennsylvania And one of the things, which is another way of saying I took a a little bit of a a hiatus from working on um, corporate level within HR departments. And there's just a, I got the sense that the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing in terms of the desperate times of a, you know, you say 3.9 unemployment, but realistically speaking for anyone qualified in pretty much every industry, you could almost cut that number in half, if not more. You know is there uh, something that you're seeing in terms of overall communication within organizations today that are recognizing how much pain is out there for the uh, in the recruitment world
0: I'd love to say yeah there's something but I, I think there's there's couple of different camps. I think most of the staffing industry recognizes the pain because it's a shared pain. If they can't find the candidate, their client can't fill the job opening, the staffing company doesn't get paid, so they've got a strong incentive to accelerate the process, to be better at talent sourcing. But on the client side, there's those really enlightened HR departments who work hand-in-hand with their staffing companies as partners, saying, look, we understand the need for speed we understand that if we don't have market pay rates we're not going to attract talent we understand that candidates can choose between us and a hundred other companies so we've got to be an employer of choice and they look at staffing companies as an extension of their marketing arm but then there's those employers who're like nope we've done it this way for 50 years we're going to continue to hire the way we hire We'll move at our speed, and if the candidates don't like it, they can work elsewhere. And those are the companies that are struggling. And We see a lot of manufacturing companies where maybe out of necessity, but they're refusing to address pay disparity. And I can go to work in an Amazon warehouse making 15 bucks an hour, and these people are paying minimum wage. I can go to work at McDonald's making 12 bucks an hour, and these companies are paying minimum wage, and then complaining that they're getting either no talent or really unqualified talent. And... Those are the organizations that I don't know how they're going to get the wake-up call except, you know, through the pain of having more and more jobs go unfilled or more and more problems with absenteeism, turnover, rework, safety, you know, you name all the problems that come with a low-quality workforce. Unbelievable, right? <laughs> it's <Fascinating>. pretty astonishing. <laughs> hey, you're, Hey. Times you,
1: Googleization show. We're here with David Searns. Uh, I'm Ira Wolf and Keith Compagna. We've been talking about the uh, recruitment and D to get in staffing employers, how tough it is to find people to work. Hey, David, you had... Um, you had mentioned before there were there were some holes, uh, you know, that, that's a huge problem. And I I see that with uh, employers and, you're, you know, you were talking about staffing. Uh, you know, one of the challenges I see, and as, as you you said here, you know, you, you outlined the steps that companies need to to take. Um, You know, one of the biggest, this isn't a hole on their career site, it's just that they don't know, they're they're really not tracking numbers, and and maybe it's a little different staffing, I don't think so. Um, You know, but one of the questions that I ask uh, at each, uh, you know, each time in front of a a group is, they're not getting enough candidates, and I ask them, do they know how many people come and visit their career site, Um, and what's the conversion? I mean, some pretty basic stuff in marketing. So you get X number, you know, you get X number of visitors to your site. uh, How many click to apply and then how many even complete the application? And no one knows. I mean, all they know is how many applications they get. Is that, you know, I guess what are you seeing in changing the metrics or or that creating the awareness that people need to do a better job at at tracking some of this stuff?
0: Well, the metrics have been almost non-existent, and – provided by organizations that have an incentive to make their numbers look good. So they're, they're not always reflective of reality. And, it, you know, especially in the job aggregation world, uh, I may post a job on site A who then pays to repost it on sites B, C, and D, and all of those sites then report back to the original employer saying, we got you the candidate. And the poor employer goes, I don't know where the candidate really came from. Everybody's trying to take credit and tell me I should buy directly from them. So, Ira, you've you've nailed one big problem data is a problem. That's where that programmatic software comes in. It gives you a, a neutral third party to use to start collecting data. We found, and this astonishes me in staffing, almost no one, no, not almost, no one, not a single company we've talked to knows how many candidates do they need to make a quality hire on average. Mm-hmm. They Absolutely. don't know the average cost of those candidates. They don't know their time to fill. And I think HR is probably better than the staffing industry on a lot of these metrics. But you absolutely need to know which sites are producing candidates, which sites are producing the candidates we hire, what's the cost per candidate, cost per place candidate. That data just hasn't existed, but now with tracking pixels, we can put tracking pixels onto the career site, onto the end of the application process, some cases into the ATS, so we know job site to reaching the apply, to completing the apply, to placement, and we can start to gauge quantity, quality, and speed more accurately. But most of the industry is a long way away from being there.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've got a talk coming up next month to the uh, Lehigh Valley group, and we're talking about predictive analytics. And, you know, frankly, they, they they want the predictability of it, but they don't have the analytics. So, um, you know, a long, long way to go. What are, what are some of the holes? I mean, l- so let's assume that people do come to, you, you You get enough people, you're doing things right, people are coming to your career site, they're clicking to apply. What are some of the holes that you're seeing? Um, what, or, you know, I guess what are the biggest blunders that, that uh, yeah. staffing makes?
0: Yeah, let me, let me kind of work the funnel backwards. And so what we want to think about is, you know, create a little visual here. Picture a funnel. In an ideal world, your recruiting funnel would be a cylinder. Every single candidate goes in at the top and comes out at the bottom as a job applicant. The reality is, is our funnel, people don't make it to the bottom. So let's start at the very bottom of the funnel. The last mile is, I got to your job application. Did I finish it? So often, the job application is too long. It's not mobile-friendly. It's dependent on an archaic ATS, and we're asking for information. Would you believe I, I saw this year... An application that requested, not requested, required social security number to apply oh. for a job.
1: I just did a so, an audit. I just did an audit of a site, a healthcare group, um, last week, and I don't even know if the results have been delivered, so I can't give you a whole lot more information. Um, they had 48 required fields in their job application. <laughs> this is for CNAs. Yeah. I mean, this is is where it was healthcare. So this was CNAs, medical assistants, greeters, receptionists. Everybody got the same, whether it was that or whether it was an RN. Um, 48 required fields. Half of those fields started with if. So it was an if-then statement. The problem is it was required. So regardless of what you said on the previous question, you still had to answer it. Um, Uh And they were open text. And they asked for the Social
0: Security number. Oh my Incredible. Goodness. Well, so so you, you look at that that apply process and we just we just saw a stat. We we track Google Analytics on uh, 500 plus staffing and recruiting from websites and last month we hit a milestone. 52% of all traffic was mobile. That's the first time mm. we've seen the the majority be mobile. So, you know, you need an experiment. Anybody listen to the show, pull out your phone and go try to apply to a job on your phone. And if you can't do it, you're losing 52% of the people who want to work for you. And actually on job seekers, it can be 70 or 80%. And if you're placing light industrial kinds of workers, blue collar workers, it may be 90% you're right, losing right. if they can't apply on mobile. Yes, so that's the, the first thing. They, is,
1: yes, the only connection they have, I mean, the lower you are in the total pole, the only access they have to the internet is a mobile phone.
0: Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, and that example you just gave of somebody with 48 required fields, break it in parts. So step one, just give me your contact info, hit submit. All right, I've got that. Now on the next page, hey, tell us the rest of this to help complete the application. But we don't need to ask for all those things on the first pass. So then let's go back up the funnel. You get people who are looking at the jobs on your website. Is it really intuitive how they apply? Um, I've seen ones where it's Send a resume to an email link at the end of the application. Why isn't there a button? It's a website. This is, this is 2019. That's how the web works. Mm-hmm. But they don't have that. Are there one-click apply options? Can I apply with Indeed? Can I apply with Monster? Can I use apply with LinkedIn to pull data from another site to either send it directly or at a minimum to fill out the form based on what's in the social profile? Then let's go back up the ladder again. How about searching jobs? How hard is it to find jobs in your website? Mm -hmm. That company I mentioned earlier, we were looking at their site. They have a beautiful website, but the section on jobs, search jobs, is actually labeled with the word careers, Mm -hmm. and it's a separate (laughs) bar. That's all the way at the top of the screen, not in their main navigation. Yet their number one problem is recruiting, and it's not in their main navigation. So a majority of people coming to their website may never see that prompt for careers and know that means, here's our open jobs. So are jobs easy to find on your website? Then let's think about all the people who come to your website who are passive. They're not really ready to apply to a job. Do we have options for them? Can we engage them with chat? Is that built into the website, whether it's live chat, a chat bot, or a hybrid? Are there other ways the candidate can express interest in being connected to you? Can I get job alerts? Can I opt into some sort of email publication? Can I subscribe to a blog feed? Are you offering me some really cool content I can download? It's something you're giving me so that at least you have my information so you can then follow mm-hmm. up. Then look at the messaging. Did you do a good job selling your company in the content and particularly in the job posts? Um, one of our clients, it's an AS group member that really focused on writing re- excellent job posts. They got their conversion rate from people reading the jobs to applying over 50%. Our average client's around five. Mm. Well. Wow. They got 10 times the results just by writing better job posts. Tell a story. Yeah. Tell a story. I, uh, Sell the know, job. Sell the company.
2: I know we're, uh, we're close to time here, but I, I got to ask, uh, David, I generally ask our guests to maybe put something out there for, for uh, our Absolutely. listeners in terms of what could help them. But this one's really just my own curiosity. Why, after all the experience and time you've put into this industry, why do you think – People aren't freaking out about this. Why do you think that people, it seems to me more and more that the deeper you go down the rabbit hole with this stuff, the more sense of urgency should be appearing, but it's not.
0: It's a great question, Keith, and the only guess I have is the pain's not great enough to force companies to change how they do things. A process change is hard. People don't like it. They resist it, and even if they know it's good for them, it's like losing weight. I know I shouldn't eat those things, but dang, that donut tastes good, so I'm going to eat it. And it's the same thing with process changes. We have to change how we behave, not just change technology. Actually, we need to change both. Right. But I think it's the process change that may be harder than the technology change and getting people to break habits. They, they know what's good for them, but they can't get everybody in the organization to do it because it requires a different way of acting. Yep. It.
1: So, hey, David, we, we've got about three minutes left here. So I want to make sure that we can get your contact information. And there's so much I didn't even get to. I wanted to talk to you about Google My Business and voice search and, you know, the future. So we, we definitely got to have you back. Uh, hopefully you'll uh, come back. This, this went just crazy fast.
0: <laughs> well, I'd love to be back. This was a lot of fun, and uh, sorry if I ran on too long. It's some of the oh, answers no, no, got no, not, my not, favorite topics.
1: Uh, not not at all. You you and I, and, well, and Keith, too, uh, are, you, we're all in sync, so yeah, this was easy. Hey, um, if someone wants to get in contact with you, uh, what, what are the best ways to do that?
0: All right, well, this is a bad habit, but I'm an email junkie, so actually, my email address, feel free to reach out. It's D, as in David, CERNS, S E A R N S, at Haley, H-A-L-E-Y, marketing.com. If you're looking for lots of free advice on how to recruit, uh, go to our website, HaleyMarketing.com, and hit up the freebie section. We also have another website called LunchWithHaley.com, where we've got about uh, 80 hours of free on-demand webinars on any topic related to sales, marketing, and Recruiting, and again, the URL I mentioned earlier—it's a hidden URL. It's HaleyMarketing.com/Indeed uh, for our seven strategies for dealing with Indeed Megedon.
1: Excellent. So, uh, so much more, and then again, love to have you back, and uh, hopefully uh, next time we'll 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 be able to talk about some progress or some new disruptor in the market that we didn't even imagine. That was going to happen, uh, but definitely uh, want to get your take on voice search. I think that's going to be really disruptive, and uh, I've been pushing uh, companies using the free resource of Google in My Business, which people can download from the site, the the ebook, or uh, get in touch with Keith or me on uh, LinkedIn or or Twitter. You've been listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show uh we're always here talking about uh, what's going on in the future of work where the tired the wired and technology converge uh keith
2: any final words you got about 10 seconds <laughs> no david thank you for your time looking forward to talking with you again soon uh, always a pleasure thanks again Yeah,
1: absolutely uh until next week uh and every wednesday after that and oh one more thing we want to thank our sponsors Fight yeah. and Success Performance Solution for making this possible. Uh, so until next Wednesday and every Wednesday after that, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on W4CY.com, iHeartRadio, iTunes, um, almost any other platform, that uh, podcast platform you can think of, this is your host, Cyber Wolf, co-host Keith Capagna. Don't let the shift hit your plans. <music>